This Irish Man Stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in today. This is the Freedom's Disciple podcast. I'm your host as always, Jonathan Dunn. As always, I am on Twitter, at Freedom Disciple, at Freedom Disciple. Give me a follow, give me a tweet. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the reaction to today's show because I think it's going to be controversial. I think there could be a lot of disagreements uh, and a lot of debate um, because of this show. Because of everything that's going on in the world, I feel it's very important to talk about war, about principles. And that's, that's what this show is mainly going to be about because the way I see the world, I see a lot of tyranny. I see a lot of problems and America has a role to play Um, and I think it's important from my point of view that the people are the driving and the drivers of how you respond or if you respond or when you respond to the ongoing crisis in the world because I think it's time to stop with politics. I've said publicly I'm done with politics. I don't want to know what his their response, Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, or Carly Fiorina, or Ben Carson's response to terrorism. I think it's important, this debate, because I think the world is at a crossroads. And it really is liberty versus tyranny. But I think it's very critically important that your people are at the driver's seat are the drivers of the direction of your foreign policy. I don't think that has happened for a very long time. So, say, hit me up with a tweet, tell me where you think I'm wrong, and let's have a debate, and let's let's engage with each other, and, and during the show, and see what your thoughts are. But before we talk about war, I want to kind of take a step back, and offer a snapshot of the world, the way I see tyranny, and where I see tyranny taking place. And I'm only going to hit the big ones. Your liberal utopia is wonderful. You know, I think it's safe to say that we have, as a world, more threats to quote-unquote peace and democracy than we have ever had in our lifetime or arguably in history. There's always been one great enemy and they've been very powerful. But today you have a lot of powerful enemies and they're all building up their own power, their own economies, and their own tyranny, and their own weapons. And what seems to be at the focus is the United States. So let's start, because they're in the news this week, North Korea. I don't know about you, but I've seen very little reaction to the fact that North Korea threatened America this week with nuclear weapons. I live in Ireland, as you know, so I don't get to see all the news, but I scan a lot of it. I get lots of emails. I'm on social media. So I see a lot of different headlines. I haven't seen that many, and that's very frightening. The fact that an, an evil, egotistical dictator could threaten America with nuclear weapons, and there's been very little response, analysis, discussion, I find it troubling. By the way, if there has been, please send it on to me because I'd love to actually hear what's been said about it. Because right now I'm hearing crickets and that worries me. So you have North Korea with nuclear weapons. You then have, right beside it, China. And China is very, plays a key role in the North Korea, South Korea divide. It's about trade, it's about troops. It's a lot, there's a lot of entanglement there between the three of them. And it, it goes along around the lines of the Yarlu River. But China itself is an evil, has an evil government. It's currency wars with, with America. You hear Donald Trump talk about it all the time. China wins, China wins, China wins. There is kind of a lot of truth to what he says about China. China has a lot of power. China is expanding or trying to expand its sort of area or its control in the area 
It's now the largest economy in the area, but it's also trying to, as it's ground, gaining ground, their old international law of being allowed a certain amount of nautical miles off your coast, for it's, that's based around old treaties for security. They're trying to expand it because if they expand it more, they technically have more territory, but there's also little islands in there and they're going to use them. And what far is, you can, you can use your own imagination and you can guess. In that area, it doesn't really affect America per se, but you can't talk about that area without talking about India and Pakistan and their issues. Their issues are ongoing. That could, it mightn't involve America straight away, but it could get involved and it could turn, it could be a catalyst or the, the, the piece of straw that lights the whole fire. Then you move on to the Middle East. You have Afghanistan. A failed country in a lot of respects. Iraq. Syria. You see what's happening to my Christian brothers and sisters in Syria. It's shocking. You have Libya. You have all these countries that are struggling with terrorism. And yet no one says anything. What I find ironic is the liberals used to blame George Bush about Afghanistan and Iraq. Yet those liberals who spoke about getting, getting America involved in those wars are deadly silent today about Obama and Libya and Syria. You have now Iran, which, surprise, surprise, released last week. Oh, look, we found a load of uranium. We didn't know about this. And the whole world just went, oh, well. And no one says, well, maybe we should rethink this deal. Nope. It's fine, don't worry about it. They'll be okay. Because we all know terrorists never lie. They're always good to their word. I have no doubt, I have absolutely no doubt that the Ayatollah Khomeini, when he said what he said, at that negotiation table, whatever he said to John Kerry, I have no doubt because I know he's a guy of honour. He's a terrorist, of course he has honour. And when he did not know about that uranium, and then they just found it, I have no doubt he was the most surprised person. You then look at that area, it's impossible to talk about the Middle East without talking about terrorism. Look at all the groups we have today. Hamas, Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, ISIS. I don't like using this word, ISIL, because it's not. But it's been talked about in the media, so we have to talk about it. The Caliphate, the Muslim Brotherhood, Boko Haram. All the list goes on and on and on. Then you get to... Europe. I love how people want to talk about Europe as this great shining light for democracy. Europe could fall at any moment's notice. It could fall because of its economy. It could fall because of the ongoing issues now with the immigrants. It could fall because of fascism. Or it could fall because there's an issue going on in Europe that hasn't gone away, but it got its 15 minutes of fame in the media, and no one ever talks about it. And that issue is Russia and Ukraine. I haven't forgotten, I may be one of the few, I haven't forgotten the words that Vladimir Putin said, I can take Kiev in two weeks if I wanted to. That is very well true. And if he takes Kiev and he takes control of Ukraine, what's next? It's not too far of a stretch in my mind to imagine a Europe where it's totally controlled by Russia. And then we go on to Europe itself. You have no-go zones, you have terrorism, you have an influx of Muslims who, not all are bad, but there are a lot of radical people who want to control, who want to spread Sharia. Then you go all around South America, South Africa, a lot of more tyranny, but not big, big enough impact to affect the world. And then you have the big giant in the room that no one ever talks about as a problem anymore, including many Americans. The UN. The United Nations. We're all taught to, to love the United Nations. It's great. It's wonderful. 
They will they only act in the best interests. And yet you look at their agendas. You have all these different bodies, the alphabet soup, UN, EAW, EUN, all ten thousand different bodies. And what do they talk about? Agenda twenty one, but they never give it that title. They talk about climate change, climate chaos, global warming. Uh, to be honest, I don't know what it's talked about anymore because I'm, I'm behind on the, the, the official title. I'm confused. Global warming, global climbing, climate, climate chaos, climate change, doomsday. I see people wanting to take the internet away from America and have this world government to control it. We face many tyrannies today. And how we respond is key. I don't I see differences between these, but at the end of the day for me when I talk about all these countries, it all boils down to one thing. Tyranny. I am one I'm only speaking for myself right now, but I'm done with the picking the lesser of two evils. I'm done thinking through the box of, well, what's possible? What can be done? I'm now looking at life through a lens of what's right and forget the outcome. What's right? I would much rather be right and lose than be wrong and win. What, what would you rather be? Regards foreign policy, I see tyranny all over the map that I just discussed. I see tyranny in governmental tyranny. In Well, democracy is a good thing. You can put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. And democracy is a pig. Democracy is nothing more than a popularity contest. And for me, it's nothing to aspire to. I spoke about this at length, if you missed it, a couple of weeks ago. I did a show words that destroyed America I think the last topic I discussed or one of the last was democracy I'm no fan of it I'm no fan of well you today you have this right but tomorrow it's gone because hey an election happened that's not something you base or something to uphold or to aspire to in my eyes tyranny is tyranny I don't care whether it's judicial tyranny on a supreme court unelected bureaucrats in a body like the IRS, the EPA, governmental tyranny because I have a pen, I have a phone, or governmental tyranny, well we just have to show we can govern, we don't want any government shutdowns. They're all tyranny. I don't care whether it's, well we live in a democracy and elections are there to decide what's right and what's wrong. Or a dictatorship, or a theocracy, or a terrorist, or a fascist, a communist, a socialist. A Leninist. If I've forgotten any, I apologise. There are so many forms of tyranny today, it's frightening. And yet, there's only one beacon of hope. Or there used to be. That beacon of hope was always America. That beacon of light. That beacon that said, No, we'll stand for what is right. We'll stand for what is truly right. I hope you become that beacon again. I hope you do. People are telling me lately, because of what I've said publicly and in my articles, people it's amazing how the amount of feedback I've gotten recently about I don't know. You're, you you don't know what America's like today, John. America's changed. The America that you talk about, John, doesn't exist anymore. And some say it never did. Let's just say for one moment you're right. It doesn't exist or it didn't. I say to you, then tell me one principle that I say it used to stand for, that you can't stand for in the future. Let's say I am wrong about absolutely every opinion I've ever had about your great country and your great people. Well then let's use that 
and be inspired for the future. Let, let's make that a goal or whatever your goal is to be better in the future. If I'm wrong, fine. There's no credence or nothing to, gain, to be gained about discussing whether I was right or wrong about your country. I think I was right for the record. I think I am right. I've read your history. Not all of it. But I know enough. Your people are great. And your people is what makes America unique. But if I'm wrong. Well then let's aspire to be better. Let you be aspire to be a better America. And let me aspire to be a better person. And let's try and inspire change. Because here's the fact. I don't see freedom breaking out anywhere. I don't see a, a new America that's willing to change course. I don't see a new America that says, yeah, we're going to challenge the status quo. And we're going to come out with revolutionary ideas that says, hey, all men are created equal. Or, hey, all men are endowed by their creator, i.e. God. With certain inalienable rights. And these rights are not up for discussion, debate or anything else. Or referendum. These are from God. And that's God's relationship with the individual. You can't touch them. I don't see any country saying, yeah I think that's a good idea. It might not be fair. It might not be right. But the only country I see in this world that's capable of it. Is America and your people and your pulpits and the only reason I say the only people I see capable of it is because it's in your history it's in your blood it's in your DNA you talk about freedom I don't mean your politicians I mean your people when I talk to my friends who are both conservative and moderate and every other description you want to say you can feel the freedom burn in their veins when I speak to your vets, people who served, I hear the freedom in their voice. Let's use that and let's be inspired to add a voice, link arms, and let's promote freedom and the individual. Because if we don't do it, who will? If you're waiting around for some politician to sit around talking about freedom... I'm, I'm here to tell you, breaking news, you might be waiting a while. But just because the politicians don't do it, and just because many pulpits don't do it, doesn't mean you can't do it. That's what I'm going to try and do. I might fail. I probably will. But that's okay. If I fail, I can look myself in the mirror and go, I tried. i got to take a quick break, America. I hope you'll stick with me because when I get back, it's time to talk about war and the principles surrounding it. I hope you'll stick with me. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. It's one thing to say... Syria is not our problem. It's another thing to say, Syria is not our problem, and oh, by the way, it's not even a big deal. We can do nothing, and everything's just going to get better there. That's just not true. If you say Syria is not our fight, then understand that there's going to be the migrant crisis and vast... Well, we're not, they're not even counting the dead in the Syrian civil war anymore. Have you noticed that? Buck Sexton, weekdays, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks for sticking with me, America. As always, I am on Twitter at Freedom Disciple. Hit me up with a tweet, send me a comment, leave me a message, tell me where you think I've been wrong so far or if I've left anybody out. I probably have left some terrorist group out there, so many today. I want to spend the rest of this show, if possible, talking about war and the principles surrounding it. And one of the questions I would ask you to think about is, 
I remember from the 80s during the Cold War there was a comment or an article by a reporter and he came out that he said I'd much rather live on my knees than die on my feet I suppose I'd ask you to try and think about that and say what do you really think about that would you much rather live on your knees or than die on your feet what it's really asking you is what will you live for I for one am done living on my knees there's a reason I've spent I've had a lifelong dream of moving to America I want to be free I want to be a free individual I want to succeed or fail by myself and not have it predetermined for me I don't want to live under tyranny anymore I think it goes against the individual I think it crushes an individual and quite frankly I know people don't like when others talk about God but I don't think it's how God wants us to live either I don't think God wants us to live under man's law there are many reasons I want to move to America but that is definitely on the top of there up there I want to be a free person but the thing about freedom for me my life is not going to be just about me moving to America whenever that happens whether it be today tomorrow next year and 10 years away from now 50 years from now I don't want my life to just be about my journey to freedom I want to make other people's for free as well freedom I believe is the highest aspiration that one person can have so what will you stand for and what would you die for I look at the debate around war and I see there are many different sides and there's there are many different sides to debate on war isolationists interventionists and they're all predetermined of get involved in war or don't get involved in war and what I feel that is missing today is option three is kind of what people would call in the old days the Reagan foreign policy but sitting back and just making an assessment on each case I see people today both on the far right and I, I, I'm using the, the political spectrum as most people would understand it I don't use these terms I can't stand them but I see the far right or the libertarians or that type of person who is totally against war and quote unquote the far left um, code pink and stuff both agree anti you know war is bad and I get I get abuse from both sides and I don't care um, about being a warmonger a neocon and all that stuff I still love being called a neocon I think it's funny um, it's just the way it's said in my head it's like neocon um, that's just me I'm weird um, but I think personally I always try and sit back and look at it I don't think there is a positive saying I'm only for isolation or I'm, I'm a non-interventionist all the time no matter what or I'm an interventionist and I really think option 3 is missing and very badly missing in the world today the first reason I don't can't say I'm anti-war to be quite blunt about it and people will probably take this weird comment a weird way and wrong but how can I be against something no matter what when I know that it caused the the creation of the greatest country in the world how can I be anti-war when America fought the war of independence against Britain and then became the greatest country in the world I, I can't get my mind around that I just can't you know even for people I'm I'm in utopia of Ireland I, I see all these I'm anti-war I'm anti-war I'm anti-war and I'm proud 
what I always find ironic about firstly about those folks is they're usually always pro-choice so I always find that very funny but that's just a side point but from an Irish point of view okay you're anti-war so then are you anti the founding of your own country how can you be anti against the founding of your own country now some are there's no doubt but just as a, as a general rule I don't see it. I like again. I give you another example. You know, I look at the revolution and you know, just take one close to to America, the Cuban Revolution, Castro. You know, are you telling me people who live under the one of the most despotic people, he treats his people like crap, and if you dare rise up, you're wrong. And what really troubles me is when I see libertarians talk about being anti-war I find it really unusual because you're you're a freedom loving person you stand for the individual yet when it comes to war you're anti-war so you'd much rather live a person under oppression than fight a war I'm sorry I just can't get my head if I'm wrong if a libertarian is listening please tell me I'd love to learn but what I think is missing today is the other option let's talk about the pros the cons what's involved in a war and you saw this recently in, and it's still ongoing you just look at how and I'll use it's true both sides of the aisle Republicans and Democrats you look at how they spoke about Syria over the last two years the answer for a lot of them was getting involved we need to get involved it was just the what they said was different they first said, we need to get rid of Assad. Assad's dangerous. He, he, he did chemicals on his own people. We need to get rid of Assad. And then a few months later it was, uh, no, we need to back Assad. We need, we, need to, we need to back him. I think what we need to do is look at a case-by-case basis. And not be flip-flopping, not be changing our mind. Let's see, hey, this is the story with this country. Should we get involved? And if so, what should we do? There are some questions I think we should all ask when it comes to war. And I've written some of them down. I want to go through them point by point with you. I think the first thing is national security. I think one of the oldest tenets of international law of, and again, I'm using the UN because they write, they write the law. And I, I try and bring the legal aspect to it. It's not just the moral and the thing. But if we can bring the legal aspect to it as well. There are certain justifications according to the UN. Of when a war is allowed. Ironically one of them. Is a preemptive strike. Where if you have provable intel. That says hey. We're going to bomb you. And we're going to destroy you. You can then say. Uh, well, I'm not waiting around to be bombed. I'm going to bomb you to make sure you can't bomb me. It's kind of ironic. That part of the UN and the, the Charter has kind of been missing. Because imagine if that Charter was actually still upheld and that, that provision of war was upheld. Can you imagine how many countries would have justification for war? Let's start. America could bomb... So, North Korea, because of what your man said this week. Israel could bomb Iran. Ukraine could bomb... Well, it doesn't have any weapons anymore because it gave them up in a treaty, but it could bomb Russia. I could take Kiev in two weeks. Well, I'm going to preempt you and say, no, you can't. That's just to name a few. So, if you have intel that says, hey, we're going to bomb you, you have justification according to the UN and morally as well I think I don't think you have to sit around and wait to be attacked I don't think anyone could make that argument that says hey you have to wait till someone bombs you and then you can bomb them back I don't think that's ever going to be justified in anyone's brain the other question I think you have to ask is is there any national interests so I'd use the most popular one because it is going to come up over the next months and years. 
hey, Israel is our ally. Israel is America's ally. They're now having problems with Iran. Should we get involved? Yes or no? For other conflicts, I think this is important. Is there a desirable winner? I look at Syria now. I, I don't know how you fix Syria, I'll be honest. I, I can fix other countries for you. I can't fix Syria. And I'll tell you why. Because there's no desirable winner. So what is the best for future of Syria? Oh, well, Assad or a terrorist? Al-Qaeda. Huh. Which is better? But also what I think you need to have a question of, and this is where it will change for every individual, is can you have a desirable winner that is actually a good person or a good outcome? And I mean this morally in the worldly sense of the thing. I don't mean, well, you know what, if we get that dictator in that country and he's friendly to us, yeah, he'll treat his people like shit or crap, and yeah, he'll starve them. And yeah, he, he, he mightn't be for civil rights and he might oppose gay rights. But he'll be friendly to us. Is that a situation you want? I think it has to be more like a desirable winner that says, I agree with freedom. I agree with and respect the individual. At least if you're putting your name to support them, I think that is what what I would suggest would be good principles. Not just, well, let's get that dictator in there because he'll be friendly to America and that's what we need. I think you also need to ask yourself the question of how you fight them. Let's just say you've went through the whole is there a national security risk? Yes. Is it in our national interest? Yes. Is there a desirable good guy? Yes. There seems to be this notion today that says, if you want to act, it has to be war. It has to be war. I would remind people of recent history, specifically of the day Ronald Reagan was inaugurated as president in 1981 he didn't say anything as president he didn't fight anyone he didn't bomb anyone he didn't storm the beaches yet the day he took office Iran released the prisoners this idea that says we're going to stand for something and we're going to stand up what's right or be interventionist quote unquote that says the only action then is is to unleash the 81st airborne get all the marines all the tanks all the army every sniper under the sun and invade the country there are many steps in between there many steps you don't go from Hey, let's discuss a country or an inter or a principal or a terrorist group to let's just bomb the hell out of them and invade them. I think war should be a last resort. But today it's treated as if you are for standing up, that you're automatically a warmonger, that you're beating the drums for war. I think it's okay to stand up and fight. And understand that, yeah, it might come to war. But we're not afraid of that. Because the worst road lies in appeasement. i got to take another break, America. We'll continue this right when I get back. I hope you'll stick with me. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Severin. She deserves this. Hillary's going to lose, and Martha ain't never going to be heard from again. I hate that woman. You know, 
mean, the existence of a delegate derives from whom they represent, good or bad. Look, even if you are associated with a candidate that goes on to lose, you still have a certain status. At least you were a delegate, right? Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. Thanks for sticking with me, America. So I'm on Twitter as always, at Freedom Disciple. Be interested to hear your thoughts on the second segment there about, about war and going forward. Before we continue, I want to address something that it's an issue in America and it's a term that I've never really understood and yet I hear it from everybody it seems and the term is I'm war weary I'm war weary I don't understand that and let me tell you why I don't understand it and if if you're war weary please tweet me and tell me because uh, I'd love to I really would love to know because I look at America today and I'm only just given a snapshot so I might miss out details that I don't see but, first of all, I don't understand how you can be war-weary. And I'll tell you why. There is no draft. It's not like under George Bush where you had the, the body count promoted on the bottom of the screen every year, all hour, every hour, every day. There isn't the credence, the publicity, and the reporting of body counts when you see the horrific coffins draped in the flag coming back off the plane from wherever they, that individual who perished served it's not in the news yet I know it's in everyone's thoughts I'm going to get to how you fight war in a second but just as a war weary I don't understand it as how you can be weary of war. I can understand how someone could say, I don't like the way America's fighting right now. I'll get to that, because I totally agree. No offence to anyone, but with the greatest respect, the way you've fought wars for the last, I'm just going to say, last 15 years, is dreadful. It's shocking. And that is something we need to address. But the reason also I don't understand it, when you say you're war-weary... I'm always conscious of what is that telling your enemy? Because I hear everyone say, a lot of people saying it publicly, who have a lot of respect, people I respect, saying it. I'm war weary. That mess, that to me is sending a message to the enemy. They're weary. They're tired. We just persist that bit more. They're so weary. They're going to give up. They're not in it for the fight. They're not in it for the long haul. And I'm always conscious of sending the right message to the enemy. Because this enemy today, and as I spoke down in the first segment, we face many enemies of tyranny today. But I don't believe we face any enemy that can't be beaten. If we act a certain way. If we act with principles, act with love, but act to win. And now on to the way you fight wars. How do you fight a war? So we've went through the questions, is there a national security interest? Yes. Is there a national interest? Yes. Is there a discernible good guy? Yes. We want Joe Bloggs to win. Okay. How do you fight war? As I ended up the last segment, you don't go from zero to 60. You have to understand there are certain things you do. There are negotiations. While I'm no fan of them, it seems to be the biggie, the solution to the world today. Let's have tariffs. Let's have you know, penalties. 
embargoes. But let's say you go through all those negotiations, intermediaries, the tariffs, the bar embargoes. You've had, you know, two-stage diplomacy, five-stage diplomacy, nine-stage diplomacy, and all these end rounds, and there's still nothing happening. The biggest thing I think you need to share and project, even if it's not true, but you have to project it. Project strength. George Washington's old quote, you want peace, prepare for war. I think the last thing you can go do into a negotiation is to say, well, if you don't do what we say, we're going to bomb you. And the enemy knows that, well, I know they're war weary, I know they're tired, I know they're not in it. They won't do it. They just keep calling your bluff. So you get to the war. What principles should you fight in war? Because this is where I will admit, and I stand with you 100%. To those who say they're war weary, I ask you, are you war weary? Or are you just really, really, excuse my French, pissed off at the way your troops are treated? Because I join you. What principles do you have? I see today... One of my biggest gripes, I'll give you two. One, America doesn't play to win anymore. You don't play to win. You play to, uh, let's just sort it out and let's just relax and let's nation build and let's have a democracy project. And the other thing, if I was commander in chief, it'll never happen. But if I had any power or any responsibility, I would come up with plans for any war and the number one responsibility would be this. I want to do this with as little casualties of my troops as possible. I hear today people talking when they, they talk about plans for bombing raids and this raids and this raids in the world. Well, what's the civilian casualties? Yeah, I never hear of, what's the military casualties? And when I say a military casualty, I mean, I don't just mean someone who's dead. I mean someone, every type of casualty, physically, emotionally, every other way. There are troops I've seen who, yeah, they're not physically dead, but they have problems inside and you can see them. You see them with their, out their limbs. That's a casualty in my eyes. And that is something I think you need to reduce. If you fight war, it's time to fight them under the right principles. And that brings you to the way people fight wars today. International standards. The Geneva Convention. Is there a time for a Geneva Convention? Sure. Geneva Convention is one of those things, It's if you don't know, Google it, it's the principles of how you're supposed to fight war and treat prisoners of war and blah, 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 blah. Here's the thing. Does the Geneva Convention have any relevance today? Sure. But it won't happen. And let me tell you why. If you had the old traditional warfare, the Geneva Convention wouldn't be a bad thing. And when I say old traditional warfare, I mean you're in a field and all in horses and bows and arrows and I'm on this side of the field, the left side of the field and the people I have a disagreement are on the right side of the field on their horses and their pitchforks and their bows and arrows and their swords and we're all going to go on a field and we're going to fight and let the winner take all. But are you really telling me that as a country, the best policy is, yeah, I tell you what, we're going to follow the Geneva Convention, and you, the terrorists, don't have to follow it. Why would you tie one arm behind your back and fight terrorists? Why? It does not make sense. I think it's time to start putting your country standards ahead of you. And to those who say, well, you know, John, that sounds great, and I, I, I agree with you, but 
you know, you can't do that. That will upset the apple cart too much. The UN won't be happy. Okay, then the UN's not happy. I got a news flash for the people who think that. Whatever America does, the UN ain't going to be happy. America could stand on its head tomorrow. And the UN would still be, well, America is a bad, evil place. So, the whole idea of, well, let's do what the UN says, an international law. It's just my opinion. If I'm wrong, let me know. But I think it's time to start worrying about Americans from an American point of view. It troubles me that you don't put your own troops first, yet we talk openly about casualties from civilians. Now, I'm not saying be reckless and bomb everywhere. But your first president, as president and commander-in-chief, should be to the people who serve you. That should be your first priority and your first duty. The last thing I'll say on this part of the subject is, and it's just a small thing, but one thing that troubled me about the war in Iraq Again, it's a small thing. It's been pedantic, I admit it. But you have different elements of the army. And they all have their own different departments and different specialities. Don't ask a team or part of your army to do a certain job they have no chance of doing successfully. The Marines got a really raw deal in Iraq. The Marines, again, this is only an outsider, if I'm wrong, please correct me, but from my research, the Marines are the type of people who you kind of go, hey, we need to storm that city. And you send the Marines in, so the other thing, send in the Marines. You send them in, they kill people, they take it over, and then they hand it off to someone. Yeah, in Iraq, the Marines went in, stormed buildings, and then maintained position and did routes in that position that's not the marines job the marines job is to get you the place get you the fort get you the castle and then someone else comes in that didn't happen in iraq again if i'm wrong please tell me but this is my research from research and, and talking to several vets there are many problems with war War is not a nice thing. It should be avoided at all cost. However, it shouldn't be scared of. The biggest thing we can do and the biggest threat to our world, and I'm not just talking America right now, the biggest threat we can do is appeasement. And I want to finish this segment off by delving into history. And having an example of what not, excuse me, not been afraid of war can achieve. Sorry, pardon me. Needs to do a Rubio. And it's a very recent example in the scheme of America. And it's the history of the Cold War. You look at how the presidents, and I'm not going to get into names, but you look at how the presidents combined dealt with Russia post-World War II all the way up to Ronald Reagan. What did they hear? I'm sure there were people back then who said we're war-weary after World War II. It was a nightmare. I'm sure there were those type of people. But America projected weakness. There was voices in America who said, like that I started this segment off with, I'd rather live on my knees than die on my feet. There were people in the 60s who said, the end of the Cold War will come when we learn to accept a benevolent socialism and just come to accept it in Europe and in Russia. There were voices who said, we just need to appease. Let's not poke the bear. Let's not annoy it. Let's not annoy Russia. 
And then of course you came up with the taunt. You know, the taunt. Let's let's all just peacefully coexist. You know, you hate us. I'm I probably hate you, but I'm not gonna say it because that would not be right. But let's just somehow peacefully coexist, because that would work, right? And you had weakness after weakness after weakness. And then you had Ronald Reagan. Peace through strength. And the two things that will always stick out about me to Ronald Reagan during the Cold War is one, everyone knows about Mr. President, tear down this wall. Everyone knows that quote, even if you don't know what in context it was said in. There's a famous story, or not a famous story, I should say, about that context. Um, which I'll tell you one day of how that quote was taken out, of, taken out of his speech several times. By a person who is given some credibility in the media today. And he's a famous general. But that's for in a story for another day. But he projected American superiority. And the last thing I'll never forget, because people say to me, small things can't change the world, John. It might sound great, small things, small things. One of the first meetings between Ronald Reagan, actually might have been his first, between the Russian Premier and Reagan, was it was in Europe, I think it was in Vienna. It was snowing. It was really, really cold. And Ronald Reagan was staying in this palace that he was meeting him at. So the Russian Premier drives up in his car, gets out of the car, and because it's cold and it's snowing, I don't know what degrees it was, maybe two or three degrees, really cold. And the Russian Premier gets out and he's in his ja in his jumper and or not in his jumper, in his suit and his jacket and his big Russian hat. And he goes to over to meet Reagan. Ronald Reagan walks down the steps in a suit and a shirt and tie. No jacket, no gloves, no hat. The American who comes from nice humid California, nice warm weather. Compared to the Russian who's used to snow and Siberian Baltic cold weather. The Russian is in the coat and the jacket and the gloves. And Reagan's just in his suit and goes out and meets him, meets him and shakes his hand. That set the tone for that meeting. Little things like that set the tone and set the agenda and set who has the upper hand. So to those who say we just need to appease people, I'd say look at the Cold War. Look what appeasement got you. And look what a president who said, hey, no, we're going to stand up to you. I'm going to fight you because you're wrong. But here's the thing. I'm not just going to bomb you. Because here's the other thing about the Cold War. How many bombs were fired during the Cold War? To those anti-war folks I say. It was a Cold War. It's called a war. How many bombs were fought? Were launched? How many air missions were flown? How many marines stormed the beaches? How many paratroopers were dropped into enemy territory? And yes, America won. Good overcame evil. That is what's possible. We live in a world today, getting back to, right back to where we started from where I laid out the case. We live in a world today full of tyranny. It is everywhere. How are we going to respond, both individually and collectively? That is what we must decide. And for those who say I'm anti-war and I'm proud of being anti-war. I'm not anti-war but I'm not pro-war either. I would love to live in the world that says, you know what? I never want to see another war again. But here's the thing. I'm not afraid of it. And if we do have to go to war, I hope we fight 
for the right reasons, but we fight to win. We don't pussyfoot around. From an American point of view, you don't spend 14 years in the country. You fight to win. Do what you got to do and get out. And then from afar, maybe help rebuild the country. Maybe help them like you did Germany in World War II. And now look at it. Germany is quote-unquote an ally. Yet look at all the damage you did to that country. And Britain did to that country. And yet we're still allies. War and standing up doesn't have to be a bad thing. It doesn't have to be frowned upon. We just can disagree over how we get there and how we fight. I gotta take one last quick break, America. I hope you'll stick with me. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. A couple of tweets in the main story. I like and admire Matt Damon. His white male dismissal and condensation of Effie Brown makes me cringe. Now, did he condensate her? Or did yes, he, what was condensation. It? Condensation. Like the water on the outside of a, on the, really? of the glass? That's great. That's what he said. <laughs> All right. There you go. I think we'll just leave that like there. That. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks for sticking with me, America. I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of disagreement, a lot of thoughts on it. Uh, Say, hit me up. I'm on Twitter at Freedom Disciple. I'm also on Facebook at Jonathan Dunn. Find me Facebook. Send me a Facebook friend. I want to engage with everyone. Uh, when I de- debate everyone or engage with you, I don't want to uh, make it into a big disagreement or a big issue. I-, I want to learn. So if I've forgotten something or haven't seen the right side, let me know and I'll, I'll come to you and apologize and say I got that one wrong. Um, but I don't see a debate or an engagement talking to people as this big confrontation. I think it's okay to agree to disagree. I want to close out today's show with a a personal plea to anyone who hears this. I'm looking at the world today and as I broke down in the show, I'm seeing things that are troubling me. I'm seeing a lot of tyranny. I'm seeing a lot of hate. And I see a lot of trouble coming for this world. And my plea is to forget the small stuff, the stuff that's irrelevant, and let us focus on what's important. Specifically, for many reasons, but I want to just talk to my Christian brothers and sisters for a minute. But this is apt for everyone. You know, religion is a great horrible thing in my opinion it troubles me the way we treat each other and I'm just using religion as an example because I've experienced it and I've seen some people including Glenn Beck over the last couple of weeks receive a lot of horrible things but I've experienced it as well because I'm not a I'm a Christian but I don't belong to a religion I don't go to church per se I'm making changes in my life because, to be honest, my and this is just my opinion, if you do this, i got no problem with you. I'm sick of religion. And people say, well, how can you be sick of religion? It's worshipping God. I'll give you an example. Take five minutes out and Google the history of Ireland. Catholics and Protestants. Both God's children. Are all, we're all brothers and sisters. We both worship the same God. Yes, 
look at how they treat each other they talk as as if as each as if they're always right and the other is always the problem and for times the only thing I could ever seem to get Catholic and Protestants to do admit and agree on was well the fact that you know we might have problems with each other but we're not Mormons the reason I say this is because there was a Mormon there is a Mormon church down the road for me and we look down on it and the reason I'm using religion I'm not this is not an attack the reason I'm using religion on because it's something that never never could understand you have all these different religions competing with each other and disagreeing with each other and insulting each other and looking down on each other yet they all have at least one thing in common and it is the greatest thing of all they all worship the same God the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob but yet it can cause such disagreements how many of us today have so much in common the big things we all love America we all believe in freedom we believe in the individual yet we can't unite around that because we're all divided well I'm for Donald Trump and you don't like him yeah okay fair enough let's focus on what's important well I'm for Ted Cruz you know yeah okay wonderful you're gonna that's how you're gonna vote but there does there have to be so much hate does there have to be so much let's put ourselves into boxes I spoke last week about 9-11 and while 9-11 was a horrific event and a ter- terrible day in your history there was that bit of brightness among all that darkness despair and hate there was that glimmer of hope that you had to squint to see but you saw it it was clear you started seeing each other as humans you didn't ask someone hey I'm gonna help you but before I help you and pick you up or you know help you or give you a bottle of water are you a Republican are you a conservative hey you're white you're a racist you're a bigot you're a homophobe no you just saw each other as people let's stop seeing everything as a confrontation is my plea let's start working on uniting there's enough hate in this world you look at all those countries I spoke about and all those terrorists and problems and evil dictators there's enough hate yet there's not enough love I don't know my plea might fall on deaf ears and only a small guy who who cares what I think and that's true but I still gotta try I gotta try I gotta plea it's time for love it's time to unite on the principles of freedom of hope of liberty of love of faith they're just some of my things that I want to unite on what are yours please think about it because I don't know whether we can win this I think we will I still believe in the power of both love and freedom that if it's real it can win if we believe in it it can win I believe in the power of God that there is no limit to his power but here's the thing I do know and I will tell anybody you want to hear it and I can say this for certain if we keep dividing each other on Christian lines well you're a Catholic and you're a Protestant and you're a Baptist and you're this and you're that and you're a Mormon and you're something else or someone like me I'm, I'm the biggest freak in many ways you're what? you're a Christian a non-dominational Christian you don't go to church? oh my god yeah okay yeah let's get over it and we don't stop dividing each other on race on sexuality on age if we keep putting ourselves in those boxes I can tell you this for certain we lose 
If we keep standing against each other and dividing each other and insulting and demeaning and breaking others down, we're going to lose. But if we unite on what's important, to my Christian brothers and sisters, if we can unite with our Jewish brothers and sisters, can you imagine just alone how powerful that would be? My God. How great would that be? Yeah, you have your theology and I have mine. And I worship on a Saturday and you worship on a Sunday. But here's the thing. Guess what? We all believe one thing and that's the most important thing. That God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, we worship him and all the glory goes to him. To those who are not religious. Yeah, you you're a, you voted Jeb Bush and you voted Donald Trump and you voted Ted Cruz and you voted Ben Carson. And I'm black and you're white and I'm old and you're young. But we all come together that says, hey, America is the greatest country in the world. I believe in freedom, the individual. And I believe in love. Can you imagine how powerful that would be? Let us stop seeking the answers. And let us start being the answers. I hope you have the beautiful rest of this the weekend. Or during the week, if that's when you're listening to this podcast. Please let me know what you think. As always, I'm on Twitter at Freedom Disciple. And please, if you don't mind, if you enjoy what you hear, please share it with your friends and family. I'm trying to get the message out there and I truly appreciate any support that I can get. I need every bit of it. Have a beautiful weekend, America. I love you. God bless you and God bless America. And lastly, as always, as this show will always do, regardless of whether it's popular or not, I salute your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and most importantly, in my eyes, your vets, the true heroes of society. God bless you, America. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.